Thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, this was L'Alternative on Resonance FM 104.4 and ResonanceFM.com. Tonight's show was about the French Frank Zappa, a name Albert Marker, and we just heard some of his composition from the 1974. And I will leave you with a track that's more recent, Compte Rendu d'Analyse, uh, which I believe is only about 10 years old. I uh, couldn't find exactly which album it was on, uh, but it's definitely one of his most recent tracks. Um, so this is what he's gone on to do. Um, the show uh, is uh, coming to an end for tonight. It is repeated every Friday on Resonance at 2 p.m. and uh, every Wednesday at 7.30. So do, do tune in next week for a new episode. Um, so I'll leave you with Compte Rendu d'Analyse by Albert Marker. Thanks again for tuning in. Now it's time for East Coast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, Southwest Utsira, and North Northeast Utsira. Wind southwest, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss, and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling up in East London, but always resonating way beyond this little corner of the planet. So... Wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Johnny Virgo. Hello, Pearl, and hello, world. How are you doing, Eastcasters? <laughs> and this month's show is as eclectic as ever. We are joined in this studio by Gavin Boiter, who dealt with the midlife crisis by running from John O'Groats to Land's End and wrote a wow. book about it. 
And we also have a report about how the Right to Rent Act is putting extra pressure on landlords. And later on, we'll be hearing from hip-hop artist, female rapper extraordinaire, Shady. And I delved into the somewhat controversial but nonetheless inspirational story of one of the women who founded the Notting Hill Carnival, activist, journalist and cultural lightning rod, Claudia Jones. But first, let me introduce you to Fatos Ustek, who is curating an East London-wide free contemporary arts festival happening on the 1st of July in collaboration with the Whitechapel Gallery called Art Night. So first of all, uh, Fatos, tell us a little bit about your background. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on your program and thanks for the invitation. So exactly, it is art night and perhaps I should start with saying save the date, 1st of July, be in East London and we will be having a festival all night long, um, starting from 6pm till 4am or early hours of the morning. Okay. And the concept of the art night actually started or uh, last year where Unlimited Productions initiated the festival and they collaborated with ICA and the curator was Kathy Noble curating 10 different locations with 10 different international artists and this year exactly as you said we are taking over the East End and um, expanding the program not only with a main artistic lineup of like 12, uh, 11 artists and 13 venues but we have an associate program where we will have all the galleries and museums and collateral events taking part and we will have a hospitality program with like kind of free food and burger shops and, and stands, etc. So it's going to be a really living, breathing festival where it's not only that we bring new art into the East End, but also activate what is already there. And it's very much about the places as well, isn't it? As, as well as the artwork. So um, from what I understand, it's it's also um, enables people to discover different parts of the East End that they might never have seen before, might never have experienced um, the place, let alone an artwork happening in this place. Tell us about the kind of interesting places that um, there'll be performances and artworks in. Yeah, sure. I mean, the Art Night's premise is actually taking art outside from the institutional context onto the public realm. And exactly as you said, we are we have secret locations or places that were not public before or also using historic sites. So for instance, this is going to be very intriguing, but we will be inviting audiences to come down the Tower Bridge. We will be taking them to the Bascule Chamber, which is uh, actually a chamber that only exists when the bridge is closed. So when the bridge is open, that place disappears and when it is closed there's like kind of an amphitheater setting so we will have Ian Whittlesey installing a light and audio installation which will have a meditative content and we also have a Masonic temple in a five star hotel Anders uh, Anders Hotel London where Lindsay Sears will be doing a performative video installation and we also are working with Christchurch in Spitalfields as you know it's you know like architect is Hawksmoor a Masonic Sonic architect, and 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 also we are activating warehouses or let's say big squares such as Exchange Square, where Melanie Mancho is collaborating with nine different dance schools from the area, who are performing Argentinian tango to Cuban rueda or Chinese dance or flamenco, and we will have a procession on the night, which will culminate at the Exchange Square, and we will be inviting audiences to have a wireless headphone and 
tune into the channel that they want they do, they would like to dance to and then learn these moves. So it's a kind of a wide range festival that activates many different places in the East East End. And of course, White Chopper Gallery is our collaboration partner. So we are also co-commissioning. Re- Benedict Drew for a performance that will include 10 musicians with electronic music backgrounds and that will be also a kind of accelerating uh, crescendo of a, of a sonic performance. I mean, I, I really like the fact that this is enabling people that probably wouldn't wouldn't be familiar with this kind of contemporary art to really experience something in a very different context. Um, I mean, I'm... I, I'm quite familiar with the Nuit Blanche in Paris and um, I've I've been on many occasions and what what I really enjoyed was that, yes, later on towards the night it was very much a particular kind of demographic but earlier on up until, you know, midnight or so it's families and it's people with kids going to these artworks and it's very, very mixed audiences. So, I yeah, is that something that you're expecting Exactly. Our aim is also to expand the art experience beyond the art enthusiasts and art followers. And uh, especially on 1st of July, it's going to be part of Ramadan. So and because East End also has a huge community of Bangladeshi origin or Muslim uh, Muslim backgrounds. So they will be out on the streets because they will go to the prayer at around 10 p.m. So it would be just amazing if they would stumble upon uh, an art night commission and then would be intrigued to stay onwards and perhaps like experience different different encounters that would no longer be in their everyday and what might be quite nice is if you have the kind of ramadan food stalls that kind of happen um so that people who are coming for the art are also experiencing some of the the food that's available for ramadan so you get a real mixture of audiences i think that that could be very intriguing yeah exactly because it's it's so rich i mean like when i first started to think about this festival it's it's very exciting but at the same time challenging to think of something that the for a for a neighborhood that's already very rich, you know, there's rich with smells, gestures, movements, languages. So it's exactly it's very important to kind of celebrate all these differences that actually make us and that we coexist within the same realm. You've mentioned some of the uh, work. So are there any highlights that um, you would recommend other than the ones that you've mentioned already? Yeah, the whole festival is a highlight. Course, so course, please <laughs> make sure you have three to four hours to, to your side to, to kind of spend on the night because it's not going to only be the main festival. But one thing I, would, I want to kind of bring as well is that, yes, Art Night is a one night only festival, but we have uh, we are gearing towards a legacy project. So one project that I would like to talk about is uh, by an artist from Turkey, Güneş Tarkol, and she will be working with residents of the Middlesex Street Estate. And Middlesex Street Estate is one of the two council estates which City of London looks after. So one is our call to people who live on the Middlesex Street Estate or in the close vicinity to participate in these free workshops. And the first time of her practice, she's opening the workshops to male participants as well as female participants. And we also have a crowdfunding campaign going on at the moment on SpaceHive platform. And we would be very delighted if people would like to support this project because it's not going to become only a collaborative banner, but it will become a mural which will be permanently installed on one of the exterior walls of the estate. 
And the second one that I want to kind of mention is because that's again another open call. So if you are, if you have two colored eyes, two different colored eyes, or if you know someone who does, please get in touch with us because we're looking for someone who preferably lives in the East End and who has uh, heterochromia. And, uh, and that's going to be also for the Lindsay Sears work, which will be in the Masonic Temple. And all all the uh, all the festival actually I think has highlights. You know, like we also have like in famous Chapman Brothers, and then they will be activating two different locations. Or we have Anne Hardy who is collating sounds of the vicinity of Nichols and Clark Building and making it turning uh, transforming it into an immersive installation. Or we will have Doho Su who actually recently had a big show at Victoria Mirror, which had cues, and uh, and that's going to be maybe two sides. And and um, one, we will un- uh, we will be showing an existing work or a com- confluence of existing works, and then we are co-commissioning him for a large-scale public installation f- to be unveiled in autumn. But, yeah. I think that's all we have time for. But that it sounds oh, wow. absolutely amazing. So first of July, exactly, pretty much all night long, six p.m. start. Well, yeah. I'm going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I we have, have a club night. I have, have to a say club that. night. Yeah. 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 Oh. Club Tell us about well. that quickly. Yeah. Yeah, just quickly, so that it's like you know, of course, club nights or going out and and short and short that your East End is so fashionable. But we thought we should also in- include or involve an artist. So Carsten Nikolai, or his musician name Alvanotto, will be doing a special um, gig on the club night, and we are collaborating with the Boiler Room. So mm. they're also lining up DJs, and so we will make sure that we have you know all the senses activated through the night. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for your invitation. It's a pleasure. Okay. Well, thanks very much, First Horse. Well, a few years back, the Mayor of London threatened to take away the Notting Hill Carnival from the streets of London and replace this iconic street festival with a sanitised shindig in Hyde Park. That year, I was compelled to find out a little bit about the women who really are responsible for the carnival. And there are two main candidates. One was Ronnie Laslett, a woman from the East End who put on a youth performance that was the first to have a street element. And the other is Claudia Jones, a Trinidadian woman who, after being expelled from America for being a communist, came to the UK and set up the first indoor incarnation of the carnival itself. First and foremost, Claudia was a, a, a journalist, and she had a newspaper called the, the Grazette. And she used to publish that paper uh, with her team that she had, and she would sell it at both Brixton and Kentish Town Youth Club, and we would go out with her selling the paper. But she used the paper not only as a news media, but also to be able to explain to people about why it was necessary to change this country for so, towards a socialist country. And she formed the Saturday School, in which we went to the Saturday School in Houston Road, and uh, where we would discuss Caribbean history, where we would discuss black history, because in those days, hardly any people talked about black Africans, you know? And she brought that dimension to us, and we learned quite a lot about black history from Claudia. 
All of you have to sing, right? It's a lot. Wait. No, don't stop the carnival. We come here to sing some calypso. No, don't stop the carnival. I have to try my best to extempo. No, don't stop the carnival. Let go, everybody have party. No, don't stop the carnival. I want to see you get on and hearty. No, don't stop the carnival. Claudia Jones came from long time. No, don't stop the carnival. Showed us how to play with them and rhyme. No, Ronnie Lazet came out so well. Help us to have fun every single day. I want to hear you all sing with me one time. No, don't stop the carnival. Well, good afternoon, everybody. And I am first and foremost your mayor, which means I represent everybody in the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. But the next thing I am is a Trini. I know many of you will not believe it, but I was born in Trinidad, reared in Trinidad, and I played plenty mass in Trinidad. From juve to helping plenty people sew plenty costume and never get them a costume in time on a Tuesday morning. And everybody will understand that. But what I want to say as a Trini woman and as an English woman and as an all kind of woman is these are two fantastic women. And I don't think they would want you guys to war about who started it. I think they'd want to celebrate with you about the fact that it continues. And the reason that it does that, in my view, is because of Carnival itself. Nobody can capture Carnival in our early years as a council, who would have thought that it would evolve into this most epic, uh, epic of celebrations? So I think we are here today to celebrate fantastic women, a fantastic event, Notting Hill and Great Britain as we come together to heal our own new and present wounds. And we brought Ronnie through Andrew Shevington. He says, we have to continue children's carnival. And I must introduce you to Ronnie. I went up to a home in Hampstead, and we kept her rapport then. And she has always been to the service since 1981. And she would call it her annual pilgrimage, because she just can't believe. And like the mayor herself has just said, it's evolving. It's evolving in the spirit of Trinidad. And I speak of the Trinidadian as well, because we don't exclude anybody. And that is the spirit of carnival. Come and join us, come and have fun, forget your troubles. You know, free up. And in fact, I can remember the BBC, I think it was in the 60s, talking about Trinidad at that time, having the lowest percentage of mental illness because of our two days carnival. We all will die, but let's enjoy ourselves in the now. And Bill Bridges, thank you very much. I'm here with Winston Pinder, who was a close friend of Claudia Jones and somebody who can tell us a lot more about her personally. Well, I, I met Claudia Jones uh, when she came from the United States where she was deported. Um, that's probably by coincidence because she was due to go back to Trinidad, but Trinidad 
did not want her, and they, they said to her she should go to the mother country, and she came here. So I met her at Plymouth on the day she arrived in this country. Claudia is a mentor, a good friend, very, very close friend of ours, a mother figure, prolific writer, someone who have the had the community at heart. But what Claudia brought to us in the United Kingdom at that time was a new dimension of consciousness. Ms. Jones, why aren't West Indians applying to come to this country in any numbers? Well, I would say that uh, the Commonwealth Immigrants Act has uh, acted as a deterrent against their coming. And in fact, that was the intention of the act, which uh, many of us considered a colour bar bill. Now, there was a good deal of ill feeling about this act when it was introduced. Has that ill feeling among West Indians died down? Uh, what is important to recognise now, it's not so much their feeling directed against the act as such, because they're responsible, the act is law, they're fighting to repeal it, but the consequences of the act, uh, namely uh, the fact that the population at large, because of the whole propaganda against the West Indians, uh, regard them as second-class citizens, and they themselves, on the job, in virtually every sphere of life, find this difficulty uh, since the Immigration Act in terms of discrimination, uh, colour bar housing, etc., etc. After the brutal murder of Kelso Cochrane, an Antiguan carpenter on the 16th of May, 1955, just after, just 33 years old. The streets of Notting Hill, Claudia's history tells us that inspired by the conditions of the time, she decided to raise funds to defend those young black people who were arrested for taking on white racists. Carnival was conceived at that time. Most women would agree that conception is delightful, but delivery is painful, and so it is with Carnival. Claudia Jones felt that Carnival was the proper machinery for bringing the people of Notting Hill together. Carnival, as we all know, is the portrayal of both the visual and the performing arts created in the Caribbean region. It is to our sorrow that Claudia did not live long enough to take carnival on the streets, but what, what Claudia did was sowed the seed. I think Kensington and Chelsea should be proud of themselves for supporting carnival during those years. I had many meetings at the town hall on Carnival. And I will tell you, the pains of today are as difficult as the pains of bringing a baby into the world. It was cracking. Cracking a rock with a fingernail. It worked. I trust, and I really do, that having this plank here will remind us all of a remarkable Caribbean woman whose spirit will continue to inspire us with the courage necessary to stand up and become acted. We have some hard days ahead. I sit in opposition in the House of Lords and I can assure you the days to come are not fun. Claudia did not live long enough, as I mentioned, to see her dream grow. 
but the management committees over the years have fought bravely to keep the dream alive. And I would use the words used by Jesse Jackson, keep hope alive. We need to keep carnival. We really do. Not because it brings in a lot of financial gains to London, but it brings people from all over the world. And carnival doesn't ask anything of anybody. It is a celebration. She taught what it was to be black. She taught what it was to be anti-imperialist. She taught us about politics, but she also brought to us a, to a kind of cu the, our culture. Dancing, she was. She, music was one of her greatest loves. But most of all, I would say, people. I want to see you get on and hearty. No, don't stop the carnival. Claudia Jones came from long time. No, don't stop the carnival. Showed us how to play with them and rhyme. No, don't stop the carnival. Running as it came out so well. No, don't stop the carnival. Help us to have fun every single day. I want to hear you all sing with me one time. No, don't stop the carnival. Let me see you jumping on the line. No, don't stop the carnival. Portobello Road in the rain. don't stop the carnival. But we still go party again. don't stop the carnival. This thing belongs to all of we. don't stop the carnival. Part of our history. And as the first sliver of summer emerges, I can't wait for the carnival again this year. And you can find out more about the history of carnival in all its glory at Carnival Village in Powys Square in West London. Thank you, Johnny. Um, now let's welcome Gavin Boiter, who's here with us in the studio to talk about his book, Downhill From Here, published by Sandstone Press. And he's also making a film called The Long Run, describing his gruelling run from one end of the country to the other. Welcome, Gavin. Thank you. Great to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. My first question is why. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Why would anyone do such a thing? Like, what what was the incentive? Well, there's two ways of answering that. The first way is to say that I kind of discovered as I went. Um, but I suppose in terms of starting out, I was working a kind of dead-end job in an NHS administration office. I was a filmmaker and a writer, but I was kind of struggling to break through. And um, I started a bit later in life, perhaps, on that creative route. Um I took volunteer redundancy after 10 years and I had quite a generous pot of money and time on my hands. And I thought, I like running, I like writing and I like making films. So is there some way I can combine these? And then I thought, well, I'm doing a lot of long distance running. So what would be the most challenging British long distance run? And I thought, well, all of it. You know, why not? <laughs> so that was the reason why when you started and you said you kind of, you know, developed that as you went along what what you know what what was happening in your head as you went along what the, what were the different reasons yeah there's um there's a range of them i suppose um i was you know at a point in my life where i was uh, single i didn't you know i didn't feel i was really progressing and i felt a little bit like i needed to do something to prove to myself that i had you know what it takes you know that i had something 
powerful in me. So I thought, well, if I can just achieve this thing, this sort of iconic thing, Johnny Grotz to Land's End, um, you know, that will be a, a life, an achievement I can take with me to my grave. <laughs> but also, um, I kind of wanted to get to know my country. Um, I'm from Edinburgh. I've spent a lot of time in London recently, but I haven't. There's whole chunks of Britain I've never seen. So I thought it'd be nice to sort of run through as many interesting bits of but Britain do you, as I could. Do you get to see anything when you're running? I mean, it's quite fast-paced, no? Or, uh, or maybe not. <laughs> some of it. I mean, it's technically running if you bring both feet off the ground at the same time. So, um, yeah, a lot of it was jogging, and I walked up some hills. But, um, yeah, some, some of it was run at pace. But really, I think you see a lot more running than any other means of uh, transport because, you know, when you're walking, you can cover a certain distance, but uh, I can cover a hell of a lot more running in a day, and I can see... 30, 35 miles of Britain in a day. And, and also because I'm, because I'm running, I'm trying to take my mind off how exhausting it is. I'm, I'm looking, I'm using my eyes and all my senses and finding as many things along the way to, to enjoy. So on average, how many miles a day were you running? Um, this is something I didn't really figure out till the end. I naively thought <laughs> that I could do 40 miles a day when I started, but... Uh, yeah, I quickly realised that was not possible. It didn't help that I injured myself, injured my knee two days before the event. Um, but I had a bit of physiotherapy and the woman said, yeah, normally I'd tell someone to rest it, um, but I know you're a runner and you're not going to do that. So you can run, but it's going to hurt. Um, so anyway, I started off aiming for 40, but I couldn't keep that up. Um, and I I took breaks when I needed to, but I think I only had about like two half days and one day off um, during the whole day, whole whole period. And because I ran a very circuitous, complicated route, uh, I think it averaged about a marathon a day by the end. For those who aren't kind of in the <laughs> running world, what, what's, what's that? How many oh, miles that's 26.2 miles. Okay. And um, so, yeah, you talked about the preparation a little bit. So um, how did you... What, 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 how did you get into that? Like, what did you have to do to kind of physically and mentally prepare for this this trip? Um, I'd run a few marathons before, but I hadn't really done any uh, what they call ultras. And I kind of discovered ultra running by accident. I saw some people one day running um, up the canal between Brentford and, well, I think it was from between Brentford and Tring. And I didn't even know where Tring was. And I looked up and found it was 60 miles from London. So uh, I thought, who are these people and what, why are they doing this? And I kind of did the more research I found there's like a little strange community that's grown up over the last probably less than 20 years of people who run extreme distances. And um, so I thought, well, I'm going to have to do one. So I, I just threw myself into it and I found this London to Brighton run that's been going for a few years and it's very well organised. Is that the 24-hour kind Actually, of... No, that's something no, else. No, that's something else. Right. So first I did the London to Brighton, which was 100k. Um, I just thought, well, it's 62 miles is just flipping the digits around. How difficult can that be? <laughs> Very naive, as it turned out. Um, and then just to see what it was like, I thought, well, I'm going to do a 24-hour race. And the thing about 24-hour races, you know, as the name suggests, it's you don't have a set distance to run. You have a set time. So you start at noon on a Saturday, and you just see how far you can run by noon on Sunday. <laughs> and um, as it turned out, I did 102 miles, and I really surprised myself um, because I came fourth, and I've never, <laughs> ever done that well in races. The idea of running for 24 hours <laughs> terrifies me. I just can't even imagine what that must be like physically. Like, 
I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you go through all sorts of different phases of exhaustion and elation. And but running through the night was great. Actually, I really enjoyed that bit when the sun went down and you're sort of running through a forest at night. And there's just you. I didn't use music. I deliberately didn't use music for that bit because I wanted to hear the sounds of the wood at night and you know mysterious things rustling. <laughs> probably other runners. Um, yeah. Just uh, I kind of. You have to go through different sort of zen-like stages, <laughs> some of which are quite painful. But I, I, as it happened, I only ran for 22 hours because it had been raining for three hours constantly when it got to around to 10 o'clock in the morning on the Sunday, and I just thought, I've had enough. <laughs> it's time to stop. Yeah. Um, and so you, you talked about a low point there. So on your on this um, across-the-country run, what was the kind of lowest moment? Was there a moment where you just thought, no finished enough i'm giving up i can't do this anymore yeah i think maybe it was a good thing that the low point came on day five but uh, i uh, got a little bit lost um going around the wrong side of a mountain uh, near uh, loch ness on the great Glen Way. i just mis- mistook one path for another and i ended up sort of walking into a sort of wilderness of a large bog and then there was a wood and then i had to climb a mountain and then after five and a half hours of not knowing where and where on earth I was and having no phone signal not, and not able to um, contact my support driver, who was my dad, a 72-year-old father who's panicking somewhere, after all that, I just realised that the only way to get to civilization was to cross a river. Um, but the river was about 30 feet wide and who knows how deep and fast-flowing. And uh, I had an iPhone and camera equipment because I was filming the whole thing as well on a... On a GoPro attached to like a little gimbal device which I was talking into. So I basically had to just wade out into this river with no idea um, whether I was going to make it over and I ended up swimming um, kicking my legs up and holding the equipment above my head and swearing quite violently has to be said. And eventually I made it across the other side um, and I was soaking wet I you know, crawled out of the river and then I had to kind of find my way to the, the nearest little town. By, by this point, it's dark. It's about half eight. And my father has actually called the police and they're out combing the local neighborhoods for me. And uh, the local helicopter service is about to scramble a copter with a heat-seeking device. Um, fortunately, that didn't happen because I stumbled upon the small house owned by this woman, 82-year-old woman called Sheila, who very kindly um, agreed to drive me back to the town I'd started at that day. And my dad was there waiting in the car park, panicking. But uh, so uh, we had a very relieved reunion. And um, I, you know, after after that, I got that through my system. That experience of actual fear. <laughs> the rest of it was a breeze, to be honest. I mean, I had pain and I had exhaustion, but after that, every, everything was like a holiday. <laughs> what was your favourite moment? Like the, the the kind of exhilaration point, other than the end, I imagine. But yeah, um, well, there were there were a lot of them actually. Um, in Scotland, I would say um, the Great Glenway is very beautiful, and it's actually slightly underknown because it's only been open for about ten years. And that runs um, from let me get this right. Uh, near, it runs from Inverness right down to uh, Fort William and beyond. Um, in fact, yeah, and then it kind of you can go from there to the West Highland Way, so you can pretty much run most of Scotland without going across a, along a road, which is amazing. Um, in England, uh, when I got to um, the end of the Pennine Way, up at um, a place called, um, let me get this right, Kinder Scout. Kinder Scout is like an amazing plateau with these really weird biomorphic sort of sandstone shapes. They look like Henry Moore sculptures. They're incredible. And it's when I got there, it was sunny, but there was this huge bank of fog rolling over it. So, it's, And I've got the footage of this. It's incredibly atmospheric. And I just, 
I completely forgot about all my exhaustion running through landscapes like that. I just loved it. So you've you filmed as you went along. Um, so it, what what's what's happening with this film? Is it um, going to be released soon? Can we see it? Um, what? Yeah, I've um, I've made uh, little clips and I've made a, a teaser trailer, which is available um, on the internet. <laughs> I think it's on YouTube. Um, but also, um, I shot 450 hours of footage. So as you might imagine, it's taken a while to delve yeah. through all that. But I've got a very good friend of mine who's given me copious notes on how to chop that down to two hours. So I'm trying to distill it to its essence. And then hopefully I'll get some completion funding and get it out there. But in the meantime, you've written this book, um, which I have to say is not at all what I was expecting. I was expecting a very kind of dry manual (laughs) on running. And actually, it's kind of this quite fun stream of consciousness, um, quite engaging. You know, um, listeners can hear from your personality. There's lots of stories. So it's actually a fun and entertaining read rather than this kind of like, yeah, you know. Um, toolkit on how to how to cross the country um running so yeah um and yes, you're doing a book launch soon yeah um it's on uh, the 18th of april at uh, waterstones in piccadilly here in london and um yeah so with the book i was del- i deliberately didn't want to write a very dry running manual you know um there are a few of those but actually most of the good writers about long distance running are very personable very engaging they talk about why they do this crazy thing and they make it sound so desirable a, a thing to do or also I thought because I'm talking about some of Britain's most amazing landscapes I just have to um, focus on things other than myself you know um, there's a lot of stuff about me and you know my background and what happened and how I got into it but there's also uh, I hope I tried to describe some of the places I'm running through and how that felt and the different changing landscapes you know the uh, thing that struck me was just an obvious thing, but you live in London all your, you know, for 19 years and Edinburgh before that, you forget that there's a range of different places to live in Britain. You don't just have to live in a big city. There's, there's villages, towns, there's tiny hamlets, there's like bothies on mountainsides where people live. And I sort of ran through all these different urban and rural landscapes and it was great. Gavin Boyter, thank you so much. Downhill from here is available in all good bookshops yes. and on Amazon. Yes, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you very much. So, um, Johnny. You're listening to East Coast Show on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. And don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at East Coast Show. And you can listen again to our interviews and music online on iTunes, East Coast Show London, and at eastcastshow.com. And you can also use Spreaker. I, I do that myself when I'm running, actually. Uh, where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter to get all your audio news straight into your inbox. Thank you. And now on a slightly more serious note, um, the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, or JCWI, is an Old Street-based national charity that exists to campaign for justice in immigration, nationality and refugee law and policy. In February, they published an independent review of the Right to Rent Scheme, a government initiative requiring landlords to check the immigration status of their tenants. uh, Jesse Lawson interviewed landlords and tenants about their experience of the Right to Rent Scheme and produced this audio piece for the JCWI. Under provisions in the Immigration Act 2014, 
Private landlords in England are required to check the immigration status of their tenants before renting to them. This scheme has become commonly known as Right to Rent. The Right to Rent scheme began in the West Midlands and was implemented in the whole of England from February 2016. There are also plans to roll it out to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. In May 2016, the government added criminal sanctions to the Immigration Act, which came into force from December. Now, landlords who knowingly rent to anyone who does not have a right to rent and who fail to evict tenants once they become aware could face up to five years in prison as well as a fine of up to £3,000. My name is Jessie Lawson. I've been working for the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants for the last few months and I'm making this podcast to raise awareness of the discrimination that can and has arisen as a result of the right to rent scheme. It made me feel very unwelcome, as if I was under suspicion. JCWI has been conducting independent research on discrimination caused by the right to rent scheme since 2014. As part of our research, we asked both landlords and tenants in England to share their experiences of the right to rent scheme with us. Landlords are likely to be deterred by my accent as well as my outlook before I present a proof of my British citizenship. To protect the identity of our participants, some of the voices you'll hear in this podcast are actors reading the testimonies of landlords and tenants. I was uh, very uncomfortable with this uh, because the letting agency took a photocopy of my passport. I have no idea how long they keep it for or how securely they will store what is highly sensitive information. I don't think they should be allowed to keep copies of this information. They have no need for it once they have checked it. JCWI has found evidence that the right to rent scheme has caused discrimination against migrants, BME British people and British people who don't own passports. 48% of landlords who responded to our survey said that they were less likely to rent to anyone who does not own a British passport and 36% of landlords said that the threat of a five-year prison sentence made them unwilling to rent to someone who, to quote, did not seem to be British. This is a divisive policy which turns landlords into these agents by proxy, seemingly designed to undermine the ability of immigrants to live in England by encouraging discrimination by landlords who naturally would prefer to avoid any risk of fines. Kirby Amor lives in Brighton. She's originally from America and her husband is a European citizen. Both of them have the right to live, work and rent in the UK, but when they tried to move five months ago, their laying agency didn't recognise their right to rent and refused to rent to them. I interviewed Kirby on Skype, so I ask you to be forgiving of the sound quality. What had happened is we were moving to Brighton, we were in London, and we were doing everything pretty much electronically because of, this, of the distance. Two days before we're supposed to move in, we get an email from the rental agency saying, we're not going to release the keys to you. You've lost your deposit with us because you're not legal in this country. And I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. Like, what are we talking about here? And they were like, oh, well, these new laws just came in February and you don't pass the test. Sorry, bye. It was a really horrible experience, actually. How did it feel to be denied the ability to rent even though you do have the right to? It was awful. I was crying for that entire 24-hour period. I I mean, I have a six-year-old. My child was going to be on the street. It it was awful. It was absolutely awful. So I responded to the agency and I said, actually, you're breaking the law. Here's the law. I cited the law, copy and paste, linked to the the websites with the information. I was like, you are breaking the law right now in how you're treating me. And I was like, and you're also putting a family with a child on the street because we had to be out of our apartment and because we are immigrants we don't have family that we can just you know go and stay with at a minute's notice there really is nothing happening right now to prevent these rental agencies from taking advantage of people and i knew my right but what if you have someone who doesn't speak english very well due to the country you're not comfortable they don't know their rights fully what about those people like they're going to be they're going to have a really hard time it was a demeaning horrible experience 
I was treated like a criminal. I was so let down by this country I call home. We are currently seeing border control permeating many aspects of our lives, with UK schools being asked to share information about their pupils with the Home Office and doctors having to check the immigration status of their patients. The right to rent scheme can be seen as part of a broader context of the government turning normal people into immigration officers. I spoke to Claire, a landlord from Suffolk, about her discomfort with this. How did you find out about the right to rent scheme? Well, because initially I'm, the, I'm a member of the Eastern Landlords Association, so I looked at this legislation and I was just, you know, this is ridiculous. How can we as a landlord ever know, really, if someone has got the right to rent? Why should we be working as, um, you know, um, immigration officers? Well, actually, we haven't got a clue and we certainly don't have any information or any training. I'm aware of the right to rent checks. I would worry that a landlord would make a judgment solely on my name. It's so good, it's so stupid, but there'll be lots of local people out here in our slightly small-minded town who just will not have someone with a foreign-sounding name. You know, they'll just use it as a reason not to let someone with a foreign-sounding name. How well informed do you feel about your responsibilities as a landlord with the Right to Rent scheme? I feel I have absolutely no way at all of telling whether or not someone has got legitimate immigration papers, how would I know a false passport? You know, they could have a national insurance number, but that doesn't mean that really, you know, they've got the right to remain in Britain. It has no bearing on it. And conversely, they could not have a national insurance number for some totally weird reason. There's no way that I could possibly genuinely be informed. It's kind of like really racist in a way. Because if you're called Smith or Jackson, one assumes that you're British, but in fact, we have got no way of asking someone if they are. The right to rent scheme forces landlords to carry out complex immigration checks and threatens them with serious punishment if they do it wrong. JCWI has found that where documentation is not as straightforward as a British passport, landlords prefer prospective tenants who feel to them like a safer bet. This has directly impacted BME tenants without passports, who our research has shown are 25% less likely to be offered a viewing and 20% less likely to be told a property is available than non-BME tenants in the same position. Since the new requirements came into force, it's made ethnic minority prospective tenants like me feel uncomfortable when inquiring to view rental properties. If you would like more information on the Right to Rent scheme and how it might affect you, you can contact Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants at 0207 251 8708 or email policy at jcwi.org.uk. JCWI also runs a telephone helpline for undocumented migrants who need legal advice. The line is open on Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am to 1pm. Call 0207 553 To read our full report on the Right to Rent scheme, visit www.jcwi.org.uk. Other organisations that can advise you are the Equality and Human Rights Commission, Equality Advisory Support Service, Shelter, Crisis or your local Citizens Advice Bureau. Cool. That was an issue that needs to be addressed. And uh, now we're going to move on to a little bit of a musical feature. Hip-hop has a reputation as egotistical, violent, misogynist in many quarters. And I know that the East Cast listeners know better. And that's why I wanted to bring an artist who has real skills and shows that other real aside. Shady is a London MC with Persian heritage. Her work is awesome. I advise you to go check it out wherever you can. Hi, Shady. How are you doing? Hey, what's up? And I'd love uh, for you just to introduce your first piece. I understand you've got a spoken word piece that you were inspired to do uh, by the last piece. Yeah, I just um, listened to Big Up for the Features because I really enjoyed the carnival one as well. I've been kind of having really intense discussions about, you know, them trying to get rid of a lot of 
you know, cultural identities here in London that have made it up and they mm-hmm. keep every year trying to threaten taking away carnival, which I've been going to since I'm about 14 behind my mum's back. Because mm-hmm. um, she was like, you're going to go and get stabbed. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to my friend's house. And then like you ended up going there like all night. Um, and it's, you know, it's been great and it's really important to have it. So that was a really good feature. And then I just heard your you know, landlord one, and it reminded me that I've got a piece um, about being evicted. So me and my mum were one of the first victims of gentrification, so I thought maybe it's a bit more relevant to do the piece um, instead of doing one of the songs uh, that we were going to do. So we just, I thought, a spoken word piece Well, that's song. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I invited <clears throat> you on, because I know how much you use real-life inspiration to craft your music. So please do. I'd love to hear it. Cool. All right. You want me to do it now? Yes. Yeah, all right, cool. So this is called um, Not the Chicken Shop Man. Uh, There is a lot of uh, context behind why it's called that, uh, but you're welcome to tweet me and ask uh, later because I know we don't have that much time. Uh, But I I still do youth work. I work with a lot of young people and um, it was inspired by uh, a group of boys uh, walking into the youth club at the time. Um, when I was going through the eviction, um, being particularly passionate passionate about being given two chicken thighs and not two chicken legs that they'd been asked, mm. uh, that they'd asked for at the chicken shop. And they were so angry and vexed about it. And it inspired uh, the hook for this track, uh, which I'm going to do as a poem. But um, yeah, it goes, I'm going to really resonance FM uh, listeners. I am trying my ultimate hardest not to swear and I promise I won't Uh, but if I hesitate you know just imagine the worst swear word you can uh, fill in the gap with and that's what's going on you know that pause can be powerful (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay tummy aches running across hallways mother teaching me to pray for some better days to get away doors left ajar I used to sneak used to take a peek close my eyes now to block out what I used to see Fruit prints on the wall, glass shattered in the hall. Not so fun when you're fearful and small. But understand, forced marriages fail. It's like boarding a ship that's never gonna sail. Life goes on and father figures fade. Single parents so broken, underpaid. How they gonna juggle work and the school run? On a minimum wage for a loan, mum. Hard to blend in, the middle class ain't having it. Get a posh road and stick a council flat in it. And this is London, that's what you get. We walk the same road, but we take different steps. I'm not ungrateful, don't get me wrong. I can't deny they provided for long, but at what cost? I won't be ignorant, we can't ignore. We're digging deep in this predicament so sitch on the corporates not the chicken shop man don't be thoughtless you must have bigger plans unite with your people don't argue with your neighbors put your passion together and do your lives a favor and get to know your system know your rights so you don't be a victim instead of standing on road stand up for your rights put your heads together so we can all rise because the locksmith knocked on my door i thought this I stand still in my spot and avenge for some justice. The permanent marker on the walls earlier was just a practice. I hear footsteps up the stairs and I squash this shookness from my mind cause my rowdiness now wants this. I hold my heart as I cry while the voice levels high behind the door that I try and hide behind. I press 999 for my enemy's line but I know they'll arrive and defend the other side. And so my mum arrived and they changed their disguise to some nice guys asking us nicely to say goodbye to our life, our home of 14 years. And they held down their head because they felt shame for our tears. 
two weeks before Christmas, possessions were lifted to the street outside where our hurt speaks through our eyes. The bailiff feels funny, the landlord demands money, and my arms were supporting my mummy. We moved to the flats that were green and yellow, where heads are kept down, no one wants to say hello. I live below the hills and above me there's a real life palace where the queens are the shotters and the kings are the gellis. Where mans walk around fearless, no ambition but to see who's the realest, the residents. Nah, they could care less. I walk through my wonderland of dreams like Alice and realise I had to work the system. I'd be letting them win if I let me be a victim. Social services can be so unsociable and underpaid workers unapproachable. I read up on my rights and I kept persistent and every no I got, I showed resistance. Did what I could to get my family away from the negative intentions around every day. So switch on the corporates, not the chicken shop man. Don't be thoughtless fam, you must have bigger plans. Unite with your people, don't argue with your neighbours. Put your passion together and do your lives a favour and get to know your system. Know your rights so you don't be a victim. Instead of standing on road, stand up for your rights. Put your heads together so we can all rise. Yay! Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Oh, it's like a big hip-hop concert in here. Well, you bring the vibe. (laughs) All right, so that's clearly inspired by your youth work, how you relate and try and inspire those around you. Do you think it's important for a hip-hop artist to do that? Um, Yeah, I mean, personally, I can only speak um, for myself, but I always felt that um, hip-hop was a culture and it was actually, you know, born from protest music, um, from communities coming together. Um, It was you know, the community, the community participating, uh, whether it was through graffiti, whether it was through dance, whether it was rapping and rhyming. Um, it was a lot of street parties and park jams and, you know, community festivals that we put on now. They were doing that in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I really feel like um, for me, hip hop is about being honest and, you know, talking about um talking about important messages and and dialogue and political and social references um to spark some sort of conversation within people um there's a lot of people that make uh rap uh, hip-hop party tracks um club bangers and stuff but um you know i think we need to balance it out because the mainstream and a lot of mainstream radio um give a lot of focus to that so i feel like a a lot of independent artists um kind of want to keep it very grassroots to the true culture of it and that's all I know how to do so I have to practice what I know so which is why I you know have that content in my music well I know you kind of embody that spirit of community I know that you put on events I know that you had uh, presented a radio show which was dedicated to bringing other artists through Mm -hmm. so um like where can we hear more about what you're doing um I'm on social media like 24-7, so <laughs> you can always check me out online. Yeah. Um, I run a monthly uh, spoken word and hip-hop night um, at Boondocks just by Old Street. It's called Word on the Street. Um, okay. The whole point of it was... Um, I when I when I go out I'm like I'm a big foodie like I like to eat Mm -hmm. and I like to sit down because like I'm just getting old now my lower back hurts so I was like yeah where can I go to sit down eat but listen to like amazing headline uh, spoken word artists Mm -hmm. and then I was like hmm actually I want to bring a rapper on stage and take away the beat so it's just about the lyrics 
Um, so we started this night. So we always book a, a rapper and a poet. And then the beginning of the night is open mic. So anyone can come and just do whatever they want. Um, and it's it's a really nice vibe. It, like We literally sell out like every month. We've had Doc Brown. Okay. We've had Jordan from Rizzle Kicks. We just mm. had Speech to Bell. Oh. Um, so the next one's May 3rd. We've got Michael Payne, who's just toured oh, with Doc yeah. Brown. Uh, Jolliday Olesanya, who is the young Barbican a poet 2017 wow. um so yeah there's a lot we've got soweto kinch like we've got a lot of like really big headliners but actually the open mic segment takes you know is is a big part of the night and people coming and participating and sharing their words some people who have never done it before to people that you know have headlined other shows they all just come and chill it's a really beautiful space so yeah if you guys ever want to come down it's word on the street may 3rd may 3rd you all heard <laughs> Okay, Shady. So I know that was an, uh, a bit of an impromptu performance of the first piece, but I know that there was a second track you wanted to perform. Which mm -hmm. one was it that you wanted to perform? Because obviously there were two. I know. So there's one about domestic violence and then there's another one about labels and stuff. Um, I think um, let's go with like the happier one because we were saying earlier that we don't want all the listeners to be too depressed. No, um, you so depress the, who you want to depress. <laughs> the track is called The Who, The What, The Why. The Who, The What, um, The Why, okay. And there is a video for it out as well um, on Section Red on YouTube. Um, I released, independently released a 12-track album last year. Mm -hmm. um, and I've made seven videos out of like all of the tracks. Cool. And my entire music career is fueled by people power. So it's just from word of mouth and people telling someone else and getting booked for gigs and, and connecting with the audience and stuff there. So if you do have time to check out the videos and if you like it, show one other person who might show one other person, that would be great. Well, that's how it works, right? <laughs> okay, so this is, what's the name of the track? The Who, The What? The Who, The What, The Why. The Who, The What, The Why. Yeah. Shady, take it away. <laughs> To do nothing, feel nothing, be still. The heart of a wise man is tranquil and still. Shady, East Pass Radio, Resonance FM. Pick up everyone listening. Be like still water. You look into it and see yourself. The who, the what, the why. Searching through my mind to find out the truth of life. Where are we gonna go? And where is it we're from? Removing all the labels that the others have stuck on. The who, the what, the why. Searching through my mind to find out the truth of life. Where are we gonna go? And where is it we're from? Removing all the labels that the others have stuck on. Are you a rapper or a poet? Persian or you English? Are you from Iran or do you class yourself as British? If you was on trial and the Lord was your witness, do you pray to God or do you listen to a spirit? They asking all these questions, trying to define you. Categories and labels organising what's inside you to understand you better, to comfort their own doubt. Grab you by your branch and from the root they pull you out. I've been meditating on it, I don't claim to be an expert. Racing through my mind till my... Legs hurt, vexer, the more I discover that I was lectured By a curriculum that glorifies the West world Life is an illusion, the truth just a fallacy Where we die to live it up, only death is guaranteed The burdens of the world weighing down on my anatomy Such a peace of mind in this world of calamity The who, the what, the why Searching through my mind to find out the truth of life 
Where we gonna go and where is it we're from? Removing all the labels that the others have stuck on. The who, the what, the why. Searching through my mind to find out the truth of life. Where we gonna go and where is it we're from? Removing all the labels that the others have stuck on. And we don't need no war. And we can't breathe no more. And we want freedom for all the people. We don't need to tick boxes. Cause we don't fit into your boxes. I said your system is toxic. People stress about mechanical objects. Your body is a vehicle they don't put into context. Keeping up appearances become too self-obsessed. Misogynistic world where we are sexual objects. Self-conscious, see I've been putting in the lyrics. Let audiences gather from the beauty of spirit. And people say they listening but some rarely hear it. Where freedom is for us but they trick us to fear it. They sweeping up communities, capitalist villains and middle class citizens. Forget about their privilege, gather villages and raise them up to the night sky. And if you're not them, then be aware of the zeitgeist. Are we gonna take in everything that they televise, terrorise via free articles that just tell us lies? Are we gonna go the extra mile and read between the lines? With my head in my books, I push myself to get wise. So push yourself to get wise. Resonance FM, push yourself to get wise. East Coast, push yourself to get wise. <laughs> and let's just pretend there's like, oh, like 3,000 people are really now cheering for East Coast Radio right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Shady. Uh, wh- where can we find out your stuff online? Come on, give us a URL or some description. <laughs> you can go on uh, to my website, which is shaydmusic.com. Um, all the links are there, and all my social networks are shaydrap. Cool. All right. Thanks very much. Cool. Thank you so much. It's time to say goodbye. East Coast will be back soon on Resonance 104.4 FM with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond. In the meantime, you can find everything on eastcastshow.com. So to play us out with a tiny snip of uh, Shady with Figure of Speech. And so thanks for listening. Happy spring and join us again next month on East Coast. What news clips, news hits, blame it on the music. The new Caitlin Jenner tickle skinnier than toothpicks. Fusing 100 million to help you lose this mind that you're trying to get wet. What's the excuse? Women placed on the shelf like an ornament. And beauty was skin deep, but that was fraudulent. Cause a mate to compete like it's a tournament. According to the media. Six Pillars is a show exploring Middle East and North African and occasionally South Asian.